And I originally gave it, oh, about a month ago, and I found it horrendously cathartic to give it. The interviewer was very, very good. He put me at ease. And I enjoyed, for the first time in many years, being able to talk freely about my past and not have to hide from it. I decided to give the interview because I think that if I want to talk about the work that I do in prisons just now and the work I do on social media, then I'd have to address my past. And as difficult as that was for me, I needed to put it out there so that I would never have to answer these questions again. If anybody else wanted to come to me to interview me, and basically say, well, let's start at the beginning. I could actually say, well, no, I've already done that. It was a very bitter pill to swallow, but it was, yeah, it was a strange thing. I, I really enjoyed it. What, what's got to me is that the whole thing that was spread over Radio 4 for, you know, two episodes lasted no more than about five and a half minutes. And yet I sat with the interviewer for, ooh, best part of two hours I guess and I was concerned that he was going to do it as a salacious piece uh, and talk about all the stuff that was out there in the past and to be fair to him he didn't but as with all things when you give interviews in the media you never really get the chance to respond or to reply you end up with little clips of your interview all sewn together but not in the order that you gave them in the first place and I think that's yeah it's concerning so I just wanted to do this first real podcast by by able to saying you know I, I need to put the record straight just slightly on some of the stuff that was said I'm not going to go into my past because it's there and it needs to remain there I want to talk about from when I first went into prison more than anything else, uh, as opposed to the stupid things that I did that, that drove me there. I will say that I was an idiot. I was a very mixed up individual. Uh, my moral compass was completely askew. Uh, and that I went to prison because I deserved to go there. Not only did I deserve to go there for the, in the eyes of the law, but I needed to go there to save myself more than anything else. Strange thing. Sentenced to seven and a half years in jail and actually needing every single bit of that. So I went to jail initially in 2006 and was there for a year. I saw terrible things. I saw people self-harming and cutting themselves up and Things that, that scared the, the living hell out of me more than anything else. Things that I don't think any, anybody should have to see. And I, I suppose that kind of started a downward, downward spiral for me. 
But I was released um, after a year in prison. I was sentenced to a ye two years for a perjury charge. And, uh, obtaining a passport by deception was the other charge. It was amazing when they extradited me from, from my home in Spain initially. They extradited me on 56 counts of fraud. But the odd thing was that the minute I landed in England, they dropped all those charges. So I guess they were up to some games. But I didn't know anything. Uh, I just wanted to come and face the music. But anyway, I want to fast forward slightly to when I went to jail. For the second and final time, ladies and gentlemen, in 2012. Uh, it was then that, that uh, I came back in to the country after being away for four years on the run, as the media would have it. And, and I remember making the first phone call when I got to jail, being able to call my wife at the time to say that um, this was the beginning of the end. Uh, and it really was. It was the beginning of, of the end of my tribulations. Not tribulations, probably the opposite. The end of my time as a fugitive and as a criminal. And I think that I probably looked forward to it at that point. Um, and that was a good thing, wasn't it? But what the media stuff didn't really talk about was... Um, the, the, the stuff that I went through when I was in jail. And, and you know, it, it was very um, glossed over because I guess it didn't, you know, wasn't salacious enough for the, for the article. Of the, the stuff that I went through when I was in jail, when I decided that I had become a horrible, horrible individual and I basically, at that point, didn't want to live anymore. Uh, it was... Uh, it was a depth of despair that that was terrible. Um, I self-harmed when I was in prison. I didn't eat solid food for for many, many days. I, I drank coffee and smoked cigarettes as if they were going out of fashion, but I didn't um, I didn't want to eat. I, I wanted to punish myself. I kind of realized that I was um, I wasn't being punished enough, I didn't feel. I, I felt that my family were having to pay the mortgage, having to pay the car payments, having to feed the animals, having to to scrape to make ends meet, and, and, and I wasn't. I could have got three meals a day and got paid £10 a week and had a roof over my head and had nothing else to worry about. And I think that we often forget that the families sometimes are punished more than the prisoners. How strange that. So I knew somewhere deep down inside of me there was a decent person. I knew that my wife had married a decent person, but 15 years later down the road, that person had got lost slightly. And, and this interview said my Walter, my self-admitted Walter Mitty character. Well, I need to try and explain that more. I... I had become an individual that I believed that the public wanted to see. So that was the Walter Mitty character. I knew it wasn't the real me, but it was the person that wore the nice shoes, the nice watch, the nice suit and all that sort of stuff. If you will, I'd say it's probably my armour against everybody else. 
So I believe that Walter Mitty, that's the Walter Mitty character that I referred to. Uh, and when I say he comes back every now and then, he doesn't come back to get up to mischief, but he rears his ugly head in the form of arrogance or or rudeness or whatever. And I'm lucky now that I recognise it and I get to stop it before I, I never could. So that's what I meant by the type of character that I was talking about. I didn't say that, despite what he says, that I would uh, have problems in... Uh, leaving my criminal life behind me. I think that was more of an insult, and I'm quite angry at him for that. I didn't like that at all. The criminal life that I led is well behind me and will never come back. So then I wanted to talk again about my time in jail, about when I did... When I say self-destruct myself, I meant deconstruct myself. I meant that I spent... I think a year without going outside um, from the prison wing. I think that one of the officers had timed me at no more than five minutes a day outside my cell. That wasn't because the prison was understaffed and the prison officers were bad. That was completely my choice. Um, I decided that I wanted to get down to the basics. I, I'm an alcoholic, so they say that an alcoholic doesn't start the road to recovery until they reach the bottom of the pit. Uh, I, I really did reach the bottom of the pit. I was going to kill myself in jail. I just tested myself that much that I figured that I was... or not I was, that the world was a better place without me in it. And that my wife would stop the pain eventually if I wasn't there to cause it so that's what I decided to do and it was a prison officer that saved me uh, you will find no stronger supporter than the prison service than I when it's done right uh, and these people really are the hidden heroes they change somebody's life without even knowing they've done it uh, and that's an amazing gift to be able to do so we'll go into further podcasts about my time in jail and, and everything that happened while I was there but I wanted to put the record straight on a couple of things the things that I do when I left jail is I was quite able to to sit and do nothing but I found my love of writing and I wrote an article called my utopian prison and a, a great man called Ian Dunt from the politics.co.uk website. I believe was the man that published it for me. Uh, and from that article, I, I, I got a message from a gentleman that said, hello, I don't know who you are because I used my pseudonym, but I need to talk to you and I need your help. And that's how the work started when I was in work going back into jails. I, The one thing that wasn't said in this article was one thing that I try and, and, and put out there, and it's annoying that it wasn't there, is when I say that I left prison a better person and entered it. My prison sentence worked for me, ladies and gentlemen. I did genuinely leave better than, than I came in. Was I rehabilitated? Am I a better member of society? Well, only society can tell you that. I can't. I, I know that I feel better within myself. I know that I can look in the mirror. 
uh, without feeling a sense of shame most of the time. I am scarred for life, for being in prison. I know that. I know that I have flashbacks of times in jail in England and in, in further afield. But I genuinely believe that with the help of the staff and of my fellow prisoners, I, I have two of my closest friends in the entire world are people that I served time with. Um, and I love them like brothers. But I did. It worked for me. It, it genuinely made me a better person. And that doesn't come across in the interviews. And I'm sorry for that. But I, I'm sorry he didn't use it. But I wanted people to understand that. I wanted that people to understand that I didn't reinvent myself. That was another thing. I, I mean, I believe we reinvent ourselves on a daily basis. We always try to be a better person. So in an essence, we're reinventing. And I, I think the dig that the interviewer gave me about did I reinvent my personality because the other one was was ruined? Well, I suppose in one aspect, yeah, of course I did. But I reinvented it to the person that it should have been the first time around. So the thing that I said in, the, in that piece was, was I wasn't reinvented and I took exception to what he said. I said that I was reborn into the person that I should have been the first time around. I don't do what I do because there's any ulterior motive other than wanting to help those who go after me to get treated better than those that went before. I do it because I have a desire to help those less fortunate than I. For 50 years of my life, I didn't help these people. I ignored them. I walked past them in the street. I didn't sit and talk to them, as I do now. I was too wrapped up in my own self-importance and and when I left jail that cloak that body armor that we were talking about before it was gone and I suddenly got it I started to understand the reason why I'm here so I swore that after I was given a chance by this gentleman to to work in his jails that I would continue to do so until I have no breath left in my body I I think I need to do this because I have so much guilt of the of the things that I have done and, and did and the shame that I brought on my family name, so much so that I changed my name. I think that I have a, a desire to help other people. So I started working for him and I went into his jails and I worked in what I believe to be the most important part of anybody's time in jail and that's the first few few days that they're there. And from there, I went to work for another organization called G4S. And I worked in their jails until, oh, September of last year. And it wasn't that there was, I left work because there was an investigation against me in Spain. There was a case against me in Spain in 2005 when I was extradited, but it's dormant. I had to stop work because there was a mistake with the paperwork on my clearance. That's why I stopped. I was working in a prison near rugby in England and there was an officer that didn't like the work I was doing so he contacted the media. The media then doorstepped my family in Spain and it all boiled down to the fact of that I hadn't got the proper clearance. That's the reason why I stopped. It wasn't up for me to go and get my clearance, I didn't know that. But I will say this, that 
HMPPS, or Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, and whoever else you want to call them, and G4S and Circle, backed me to the hilt and said, okay, we've messed up in the clearance, but let's go and get it done properly. So it took two to three months to get it. But the support I was given as an ex-prisoner by the prison service was simply outstanding. And eventually I got my clearance and I started work again. So that's the reason why I stopped work. Now, I still work in jails. I got my clearances, but G4S decided not to renew my contract. And that's their decision, whether we think it's right or wrong. That was their decision. I work for other organisations and my mandate now, or my want now is to, you know what, is to go to the magistrates and ask the magistrates why they're sending people to jail for two or three weeks. And if it's because they don't have confidence in an intervention program that's run in the local area, the one that's changed the intervention program, we have to stop sending people to jail for stupid amount of times that make no sense to the individual, to the victim, or to the court. If you send, as I witnessed two or three weeks ago, a woman to jail for three weeks, well, you know what? She's going to do, what, 12 days in jail? This lady was drug addicted. We should have been putting her in a program to try and get her off the drugs, which would then in turn proper, probably stop her stealing, which would in turn create less victims, etc., etc., etc. So that's what I'm going to do for the next while, is I'm going to sit and look at magistrates and hopefully engage with them and hopefully they'll engage with me and speak to lawyers and barristers and say, what are the alternatives to custody? What can we do to ensure that this person gets better and in turn reduces the crime? But listen, that's for another talk. Thank you so much for listening. I hope I didn't put you to sleep. I just wanted to put the record right. Have an absolute wonderful day. Let's